Welcome to Two Brothers Review, the podcast. I'm Reed Turley. I'm Ty Turley, and a small, small part of my life is back to normal this week as I've gone back to doing improv. So <laughs> this podcast is going to be funnier than normal because I'm practicing. Do you practice online? Yeah, Zoom improv, baby. <laughs> Okay. I mean, um, like, I, I mean, are you putting on Zoom shows? No. Oh, that's interesting, though. I could give people the code. You could watch the practice. Well, I'd rather watch the real thing, not the practice. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Good point. Okay. I mean, I'm happy for you. Improv's all about pretending anyway, right? So we just pretend we're in the same room. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And then I was like, why don't we just pretend COVID's not here? It didn't work. Improv, uh, COVID, not a great improvisation. COVID is not a great improviser. It did not yes and my idea to get the (laughs) F out of here. Oh, well. Uh, Well, I guess you've been going to movies, but. Yeah. uh, I was going to say this is also a bit of a return to normality to see a movie in a a theater, Tenet. You saw Tenet in a theater? I did. What theater opened? Uh, there's theaters in Santa Cruz, which is about 45 minutes south of where I am. Mm, I assumed you bootlegged it. No way. You got to see that in the theater. Yeah, you do. Th- this, mo- this movie would be sad on a computer or a TV screen, I think. I'll save my comments about that for later. <laughs> Before we start. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, let's not get to the movie yet. Before we do, let's let's get our... Recommendation for favorite Christopher Nolan movies. Ty, what's your Christopher Nolan movie? Well, I went to another movie in a theater and they had a a featurette thing about Christopher Nolan. And it talked about uh, Inception. I was like, I should watch that again. And I watched it again and it's pretty good. The ambiguity at the last scene is, is quite satisfying. But the thing I thought was interesting was uh, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio insisted that his character really be driven by it, recognizable human desires, let's say. And I think that was interesting because I watched the film with that in mind. And I feel like he does, you know, he's he's definitely got an emotional center, something he wants. You can tell it was good. So I'm going to say that one right now. <laughs> But it could change. Well, the real answer is The Dark Knight. Uh, that's the that's a tough thing. Maybe we'll take The Dark Knight off the table. Um, yeah. Because it is very good. I, sometimes I think you're going to make you make fun of my choices. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's sad. Uh, but it's okay. I'm confident in that I think The Prestige is a good movie. And that's going to be my pick. I like... <laughs> Christian Bale in that movie. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why I would make fun of that. <laughs> I don't think it has as much sort of cultural cachet as some of his other movies. I don't know if it's as widely liked, but I I think it's good. Yeah. No, it is. I think it's good too. I liked it. <laughs> well, good. Never mind. Good. Great. <laughs> Well, okay, let's let's get on to Tenet then. Uh, 
I mean, this was a big, loud, not not the actual words, but the soundtrack. It was Uh, not a loud movie. (laughs) Dude, I went, I looked it up afterwards. Do you know this? He intentionally made his sound editor make the dialogue too quiet to hear in a lot of parts or just slightly, almost, almost always slightly hard to hear because Christopher Nolan has this theory that it makes you lean in and sort of be active as a viewer of the story. And then the article I read about it quoted his sound engineer and he was like, yeah, he's pretty much the only one who thinks that. <laughs> Which is so true. That's like the dumbest thing I've ever heard and made me really not like Christopher Nolan a lot because I couldn't understand two thirds of the dialogue. Two thirds seems like a lot. I think there were a lot of very hard things to understand. My thought was maybe the writing wasn't so good or like, because it's this sort of sci-fi time travel, it, it doesn't totally hold up. And so he's like, I don't want to make it so clear. I don't want people to really know what's going on and it'll be fine. Don't think about it. Feel it. (laughs) That that line was very clear. (laughs) Yeah. That line was very clear. That line was to the audience. Yeah. So that's, that's okay. So that the, the sound made me infuriated me. The other thing that is interesting that I don't think I usually notice, but I felt so strongly in this film was the dialogue was bad. Did you think that? Oh, definitely. I mean, it was almost always exposition. I don't feel like it was really driving a character or like core to the story. It was to explain an idea or to get you to the next plot point. Yeah. And, and, and super clunky and just saying things that, I mean, I'm trying to remember the example that where the one where in the film where I was like, okay, uh, <laughs> I think she was, she, it was when she had first got shot. She's on the table. They haven't, they're not on the boat yet. Back to Norway backwards. Do you remember what he said? I don't know. It's something like, we're not going to let that happen. We're going to save you. Or it's just like so cheesy. So on it the was nose. a sense I had. Yeah. Uh, and okay. And then, but then, so that dialogue that you mentioned, or I guess I mentioned, but when he says, don't think about it, feel it. It just felt like that was Christopher Nolan telling the audience, don't try to think about the physics or the, or the metaphysics of this reality. Just have fun in the movie. And that's pretty dismissive or like, I think it just means he doesn't, he probably had this idea. How cool would it be to have someone moving backwards while someone's moving forwards? And like, I bet he was more excited about the shots and making the filmmaking challenge of it and the the plot or actually getting it into the story kind of fell by the wayside. That was my perception. Yeah, I think he thought, oh, this is the perfect example of a cinematic story because just like you just said, it's going to be cool to see both kinds of motion on screen at one time. And there's a long, I think there's also a long tradition of filmmakers using, uh, filming a scene and reversing it in the film uh, stock in order to create effects. Um, so I think he thinks he's tapping into film history too somehow. I don't mm-hmm. know. It's it, it, this is, I mean, I think this is true of a lot of his films. It, for him also, it feels like a plot, uh, sorry, not a plot, a puzzle. It doesn't feel like a story about real people. It's just this puzzle to figure out. It's kind of, cl- oh, it's clever. 
and and that's all there's to it. These people have no backgrounds. They have no context. We don't know anything about their lives. Oh, yeah. Uh, John David Washington's character is just the protagonist. Like, yeah, it's it's there's, <laughs> and there's he tells not you, a backstory. And he tells you that five times. I'm the protagonist. <laughs> and, it, and it comes up. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, yeah. It, it, it really did seem to me more like a movie of cinematic tricks or sort of storytelling devices where he's like, I want the whole movie to, you know, come to this point and then come out of it like the uh, the Hebrew poem style chiasmus. Right. I don't pretty deep, but it's like oh, it repeats after itself. So it's like the whole movie builds to the point of them going through the the machine and then re- reverses itself even to like there's the fight scene in the art in the um, art hangar and like you see it coming in and then you see it coming out and then there's a big set piece at the beginning a big set piece at the end and just I don't know it, it seems more theory than substance to me yeah yeah I mean I just I, I yeah I just didn't really care about the characters it seemed they seemed like um, sort of archetypes stereotypes let's say I thought it was crazy when he meets the woman, the main woman, uh, and they're strangers, and it, then it cuts to them at dinner, and then she immediately, like, totally bears her soul and tells him everything about her uh, personal life. And I was, that actually probably was the first time in the movie where I was like, oh my gosh, what is this? She would, <laughs> she would never do that. She's super guarded. She knows she has to be super careful. Well, what if, what if he's an employee of her husband? A, a test. Right. I mean, yeah. just no norm, No normal human would do that anyway. And then to be one who's programmed to be especially guarded just makes no sense. Yeah, and I, well, we haven't talked about the other character too much, Robert, Robert Pattinson, who, you know, I think is pretty suave and, and good in this movie is that sort of fixer role. But he's, I don't know, too good? Like... He knows exactly what he needs. He, uh, there's just, it was no, like he talks to him in India and then they're jumping up the, up the side of the building. It just moved too much. There was no, I, you don't ever see them do the work to get to those places. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think he just made, Nolan made the choice that he's not ever going to show any of that effort, which I don't know. Yeah. It leaves it feeling very convenient, very contrived. I mean, you see him, you see him planning things like for some reason he decides to have that. There's that one shot where there's, um, the guy who flies the plane or drives the plane when the first meets him and the camera goes around the three of them in a triangle. And I don't know. Mm-hmm. It, it's like a st- shot that stuck out to me because it felt stylistically unlike the rest of the film actually. But, uh, you have that brief thing where they explain everything they're going to do and then you see it. Uh, it's, I don't know. It's, I, it's crazy to me that he would do that. <laughs> like show, you know, how much more interesting would it be if he showed them working on the preparation? Like you said, the stuff that they skipped without explaining what they're going to do. And then it could, because then you're as a viewer, you're like, wait, what are they preparing? What's going on? Why do they need this? And then you get to see him do it. And you're like, satisfied because you're not hearing what you're not seeing what you already heard. You are seeing the payoff of what you saw. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I, I agree. I don't know. It's, uh, I felt like this movie, I don't know, maybe he had a lot of story to tell or wanted to focus on the things that were important to him, but it just, it moved too fast. Uh, for me, I, I think it was hard to stay with the story or like kind of understand where, where they, what they were doing, where they were. It's so hard to understand at that focal point where it switches and there's the blue and the red rooms and. Yeah, I mean, it's very hard to understand what happened. and I still don't understand what, who threw the bomb to who and where the bomb was, or the detonator or whatever, the plutonium. That, that whole final fight scene where people are moving in different directions was impossible to follow. I don't know, and I, I guess I feel like I was trying to pay attention, and it was just, it was too messy that, like, I, don't, I didn't think it was interesting. I, I thought it was just kind of loud for loud's sake. Yeah, well, yeah, I agree. And also just too clever. Just being clever for, like, he's having fun, but none of the audience is. And so mm. It was disappointing, right? Because, man, that trailer was good. <laughs> yeah, and, like, it's like, oh, this seems kind of interesting, and I like his movies generally. I mean, I think, I do think he has some kind of quirks, but I, I like his other movies, and this one was a letdown for me. Well, that's why I highlighted the thing about Leonardo DiCaprio in Inception, because I think he needed an actor on this set who also would have continuously pushed him to be like, um, is there any reason we care about these people as real humans? And are they making choices that anyone can relate to? No? Okay, well, maybe we should change that. But I wouldn't, I guess I would not blame John David Washington. I liked him in this. I liked his acting. I guess I think he was good. And I, I think Robert Pattinson's a good actor. I think I think it's more on the story. And maybe Leonardo DiCaprio has enough sort of power to say this is not, you know, detailed enough or not covering enough. And with this being John David Washington's first big movie role, maybe he didn't feel that he, he could do something like that. But I, I think it's pretty firmly on Christopher Nolan. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the woman is a good actor. I think Kenneth Branagh is a good actor. I think, I I think for me the my favorite performance was Robert Pattinson just because he was very charming. That at least and, was a kind of a hook. But but yeah, it's I don't blame the actors. Yeah, yeah, definitely Robert Pattinson, just sort of aloof and clever. I I do think that was fun. And uh, I don't know, were there scenes or things that you did like in this movie? And we've we've been a little negative. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I really like the music in it. I did. I did like that. Um, <laughs> what else? I mean, uh, I guess it's fun to watch. It is visually interesting to watch most of this frame going backwards and a character walking forwards through time. I don't know. I'm stretching here. What I the sense that I had was this movie would benefit from a second viewing. Like I, th- I think the sort of the flow and the story is complicated enough that it was hard. It's hard to follow in the first time and watching it again, knowing where it's going. I think some of the things might stand out. You might recognize stuff in the first half. That's going to p- play a bigger part in the second half. And so I think there is potential for it to you know, make more sense or be a little bit more interesting, but it was tough to follow. <laughs> Yeah. 
he makes stuff I don't it's so weird. Some stuff's very obvious like like he does the close up on uh Robert Pattinson's character's backpack several times, you know. It's very it just feels very heavy-handed like, "Uh, see, it's him again." Like he's at the he's at the opera house. Yeah. Um I don't know. I guess it's like it just feels too heavy-handed. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. Well, at the end, Robert Patton says, "Oh, you haven't figured it out yet. You recruit me in the past." So does that mean John David Washington is going to get in one of those machines and just go backward for five years to recruit Robert Pattinson? That's what he has to do. So, yeah. So then there are for five years moving forward going to be two John David Washingtons in this world. We don't think about it. Feel it. <laughs> I am feeling angry about it. <laughs> Why do people keep doing time travel? This isn't quite time travel, but essentially time travel. Why do people keep doing time travel movies? What is I it? Don't know. What is it about it that's so appealing to writers? I think maybe it's like that chance to redo something that you're not set in your choices. Yeah, we got a basic human desire for a redo. Even though a core principle of almost all time travel movies is don't ever interact with yourself or change your decisions. Yeah. Well, and then I mean, and then they didn't even pay that off because. We learn that in between the two versions of the of the hallway fight, and there should have been a moment in that fight where the naive version of him, who doesn't know you shouldn't touch yourself, almost touches the skin of the the one who knows he can't touch himself, and he should have reacted to that. Right. It's only Robert Pattinson who pulls him off before he takes the mask off. Right. Like he doesn't do it himself. In the 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 more future one doesn't try to avoid being detected, even though he totally should. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense when you think about it. Like, why doesn't he just say to him, hey, it's me, but maybe he's saying I can't change the past. But then why didn't he, why didn't future self know that and say it the first time? I mean. Nope. Also, it doesn't I work. Also, I don't understand. It's the future one, the, 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 the one who knows what's going on, who shoots at the head of the past one who doesn't know what's going on yet. And that makes no sense. Yeah, why would you kill yourself? Why would he be? He shoots four times, and and and, and he's trying to hit him in the head, and he knows it's himself. And then, but don't they say like, "I knew it would work out," like it was okay because I knew I wouldn't actually hit him. That's bad. It's bad logic. Yeah, he does know it's going to work out because he's lived through it once. But why is he doing it? There's, there, he's not doing it for any other reason than. The only reason that you could possibly imagine that makes sense is because he saw the other he saw his future self do it the first time when he was his past self. But that's uh, okay. Like shouldn't he be making choices <laughs> or are they just gone? No. Also doesn't, doesn't Robert Pattinson uh, we could do this all day. Doesn't Robert Pattinson know that it's him he probably knows it's him before he pulls his mask off. I don't know. Well, okay, I did. I want to talk about a different scene where it's um, when he when he meets with Michael Caine in the restaurant, and he's being like kind of snarky to the waiter, and the waiter's so rude to him, and they like they talk about suits. At, I mean, I thought it was kind of a a point of humor and and funny, but pretty inconsistent with the rest of the movie. <laughs> it's a it, it's echoed a little bit 
when he does actually meet, it's almost echoed too much actually when he meets the woman at the restaurant and she says, uh, you have the shoes, you have the clothes, but, but you're still in over your head. She's commenting kind of, it's like as if she's heard that conversation and then is commenting on it almost like, yeah. Um, but are you saying cause he's funny in that one or he's snarky and then he's not ever snarky any other time? No, I'm, I, well, I think he is, he sort of is cavalier in the movie, I think. But I just think Michael Caine is like funny. You know, he like passes the card across. He's like, well, let's, let's save the world and then figure out the payments. Like, I, I don't know. just didn't feel like there was that sort of tone for the rest of the movie. Yeah, I think that's fair. That was my favorite scene, though. <laughs> well, it's fun. It's fun, right? Couldn't, wouldn't it be fun to have a movie like that throughout the whole thing? Yeah, it would. Oh, also, because yeah. a lot of it's subtext. That's the nice. I think that's the thing I like. Like that's why it's so rare in the film. <laughs> They're not hitting you over the head with what's going on. He's not actually saying you don't belong and you're uppity. You're seeing it play out through real funny exchanges. I mean, true to character exchanges. Yeah. It develops character without... Well, it develops character. I mean, actually, it's one of the few that does that. <laughs> but then it leads nowhere. Wait, and, Mike, and Michael Caine's not really... He's not in it again. It's just a very small part. Yeah. Gotta get Michael Caine in there, though. I I wondered about... I mean, if... <laughs> if John... If the protagonist went and... They talk about how the Indian woman is working for him. Right? Yeah. She's doing what she thinks he told her to do, although I think she, maybe he sent that message through a different channel than himself. I'm I'm being generous and assuming that's true. I I don't think she had seen him before. Right. That's what you got you got to kind of assume that. But then why does he kill her for doing what she thinks he asked her to do? She she says, you know, you know, I was supposed to tie up loose ends. And he's like, well, you've actually been working for me the whole time. I mean, this is, that doesn't make any sense. And he had gone back in the past to tell her what to do. And he could have been so clear about what loose ends to tie up were. Hey, don't worry about this woman. Done. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. That's bad. <laughs> and, okay, then I also, I guess, I'm confused. Or, I'm not, maybe I'm not confused. Again, I can be generous and I can say, well, I think this is what they meant. The commando leader, whatever, you know, the unit, the military commando commander um, is supposed to kill him. Right. There's he's everyone's supposed to die when they get the who'd seen those parts. And that is because if you know where they are and you keep living, someone from the future can come back to you and torture you and make you tell where they are. I think so. You think so? Okay. I mean, I think so too, but obviously, but I don't know. I mean, does he have, also, can you just not tell? I mean, just don't tell where it is. Like you control that. He already, uh, the protagonist already showed that he's willing to die before he reveals something secret. They have to find three different people. Exactly. They have to find three different people. So, uh, (laughs) It, this is maybe the longest we've talked about a movie I think neither of us liked too much. Um, I know. There's a lot to talk about. The big freeway heist scene where they get the four trucks to surround the other vehicle. Yeah. You know, that, that setup. It's the same heist 
process that they do in the usual suspects oh. where they, they have four cars surround a cop car and then they like st- steal the stuff from them. Oh really? I didn't, I don't remember I, that. I mean, he, he definitely did it bigger. They're moving. It's, you know, jumping between vehicles, but the, that like that idea of surrounding the other car is totally in the usual suspects. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I didn't remember that, but you could say that's an homage. Maybe it's intentional, but yeah, it's also not very original. Yeah, and we haven't we haven't talked about the villain too much. His motivation is that he is dying, so he doesn't care if the world ends. Yeah, I mean, he's he says to the woman, "If I can't have you, no one can." And I think we're supposed to we're supposed to say in our minds, "Oh," and he thinks the same thing about the world in general. If he's gonna die, if he has to die because of cancer, then no one, then everyone has to die. No one can live on. And I guess he got very wealthy for the time he was living, because people in the future were sending back gold. Yep. Yikes! <laughs> Weird gold from with uh, with when you uh, looked at the materials, it comes from Asia, Europe, Northern Europe. I don't, I don't Maybe know if, I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe what? Maybe in that weird specific village he grew up in that had a nuclear explosion. Yeah. So there's definitely going to be a sequel, though, right? Uh, what? Of him going further back? Yeah, or because... forward? Because the last scene... Or not the last scene, but at the end of the battle, near the end of the film, Robert Pattinson tells the protagonist, you're only halfway through. We're, you're, in a big, you're in a big temporal pincher. Pincer movement. Pincher or whatever. Pincer or pincher? That... that- Pincer. Pincer, yeah. I don't think so. Because sort of the the meta context of this movie is it was $200 million to make plus the marketing budget, which had to have been huge. And it has not done well. And maybe totally understandably, theaters are, many of them are closed and they're limited seats. But I, I saw like it made maybe $20 million in the U.S. Double that worldwide, like... No, they're not going to hold that against him, I bet, though. Maybe. Not against him, but I think he'll be able to make another movie. I just don't know if they'll feel like the Tenet franchise is what needs to get a second film. I don't know. He's made them a lot of money. It, I, I feel like the story is definitely not finished. Because we don't know how he goes back and recruits Robert Pattinson. And we don't know anything about the... We don't actually know anything about the organization Tenet, you know? That's true. It would, maybe it'd be interesting if he had a, in mind like a series of movies that travels back in time and then forward in time. Like you really could go both directions. The possibilities are endless. <laughs> Except you, you can only travel at the speed of normal human life, uh, and you have to breathe your weird oxygen. Yeah, Ty, what are you going to rate Tenant out of five? I'm giving it a two. Me too. <laughs> I think not not good story-wise, but a pretty big spectacle, and there are some, some cool things that he does with the, the camera and the story. Yeah, if you want to like work on a puzzle for a night, go see it. <laughs> and if you ever want to see movies in theaters again, go see it, because AMC might close down if things don't get better. That's true. What else do you have to recommend for our listeners, Ty? Something you've been watching, reading, or listening to? Well, Reed, I know something. Okay, 
I know you think. I have a new favorite Tom Hardy movie. Get out of town. <laughs> All or nothing. Tottenham Hotspur. Narrated by Tom Hardy. I feel like he's doing he's doing like voices sometimes. It's not consistent. <laughs> like he's putting on different accents, regional accents. I don't know if it's like so much as accents, but just like different affects. Oh gosh, I don't know. I never noticed that. I'm more engrossed in the in the locker room drama of it all. Well, I like this franchise. I mean, they've they've done this with Manchester City and uh, NFL football teams, the New Zealand All Blacks. And and I enjoy sports documentaries. I think they're interesting. And so I've also I was independently I've watched this one about the Tottenham Hotspurs. And I was just wondering, you follow this team so closely, never, Hotspur. Never say Tottenham Hotspurs ever. Yeah, it's fine. The Spurs, and yes. you follow this team pretty closely. Was it as interesting knowing the outcome of these games and contests? Like, do you still see the drama in it or? For me, I don't. I don't know if they won against West Ham or not. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, well, I go back and forth. It's been interesting to watch it. I have one episode left. I don't remember who wins games. Some of the games I do remember. I guess maybe half the games I remember the the score line at the end. Uh, I think it's interesting that they, you know, they'll show interviews with a player the week or the month maybe before, and then they'll show that player in the game and, um. That's kind of interesting context. But for me, it's been fascinating. The best part is like, you know, you know, when Eric Dyer ran into the stands, that was insane. I remember that. But then you get to see him talking about it afterwards in the locker room. Like, that's that's amazing. And then also, I don't follow the team so closely that I watch the Jose Mourinho press conference after every match. So I don't get to see the match, the locker room talk, and then his spin on it for the outside world. Yeah, I mean, I do think it's really as interesting to see how sports teams work and the and managing the different personalities. And even with this, I mean, Jose Mourinho is a pretty big personality himself and like sort of a celebrity. So, yeah, I, I think this is it's a good season, and you know, just interesting to see how uh, how they handled the COVID situation, where you know, six months later, we're seeing, oh man, in March they're. I don't know what her role is, personnel director or something. It was like, yeah, we'll be back April 3rd and it's fine. This isn't that big of a deal. And, you know, just how it slowly pushes back. Yeah. So weird to watch that. Right. And and remember what it was like back then. And it made me really sad to see the the stands, the fans in the stands, the last game that they hold. And you just didn't realize at that time what was about to change. Huge changes. Seriously, how hopeful the world was. Yeah. I feel like the also they've shown a lot of interviews in the manager's office with players. I feel like that stuff, I don't know, I've never heard or I've never had access to Danny Rose getting angry at Jose Mourinho in his office. Uh, oh, that was, I mean, that was, that was a very like, real scene. Yeah. Yeah. It, and so it just seems like so obvious, like you can see it in the, now he's not even able to train with the first team and Jose's kicking him out and it's his fault. Really. I feel, I feel like. He, he should have been more diplomatic. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Okay. I I guess I knew you were going to recommend this, but I'm also co-stamping as my, my recommendation. <laughs> I think this is this is pretty great. I don't know. A different world. These people have, you know, they're so popular, so much money, but they're still human and have 
I don't know, similar worries and problems. They get angry with each other. I, I think it's pretty fascinating. All right. I'm always surprised that they don't talk to each other more or they're not more verbal. There's just so much. They're kind of just they let a lot of things just go. And I think I would comment on everything. I'd be like, wait, what do you think about that? Or why do you feel that way? I, like I would just always be and they don't ever. Uh, maybe it's just the sort of psychology that they grow up with or are around. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you should watch it. Reed, are you a Spurs fan? Uh, no, pretty much Arsenal all the way, right? <laughs> I don't know. It's fine. I'm, I'm not really any any team fan. I'm Why? so sold on Premier League. Why are you so scared to commit? Series A? Yeah, that's where it's at. Oh, you mean Serie A? <laughs> <laughs> Series A? <laughs> well, uh, listen, I'm Amer- I speak American English. I'm not fancy like you. Uh-huh. Okay. I'm glad you're watching it. <laughs> no, I'm not watching that either. <laughs> right. I meant the Tottenham documentary. Oh. Uh, well, they're they're back. I mean, the the season just kicked off too, right? We don't need to talk about the it. The new season. Yeah, how, what's where are they in the standings? We don't need to talk about it. It's fine. It's fine. They just signed How would uh <laughs> Oh. How would Tom Hardy say it? Bottom of the table. <laughs> yeah, what do you What? No, that was awful. <laughs> you say it in British accent. How do you say bottom of the table? They've fallen to the bottom of the table. <laughs> that was more Bane. I don't know. I don't know. They just signed Alex should... Morgan. I don't know who that is. Oh, she's the best U.S. female soccer player. And, and. Oh, to... I, I thought you meant a male Alex Morgan. I'm sorry. Oh, you know the female one. I do. Well, there's female soccer too, Reed. I don't know if you know that. I did not know Tottenham had a. <laughs> yeah, every every oh. every European club has a men's and a women's team. Huh. cool. And tomorrow, Reed, listen, listen, listen to brother reviews, fans. Tomorrow, Tottenham is going to announce that they are getting Gareth Bale back. Wild. Are, are you kidding me? It's like the biggest news ever. I'm very excited. Uh, we've transitioned to, to a more Tottenham <laughs> podcast than movie. And I think that's a, a good sign. We should wrap up. Probably true. Thanks for listening to another episode of two brothers review the podcast. I'm Reed Turley and I'm Ty Turley here to serve you. Bye. Bye. Bye.